Let's just uh, bow our hearts then as we come together before God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, once again, we know, because it tells us of itself, that it is living and powerful. And that, Father, sometimes we know ourselves that we can be like a stubborn, immovable object. And yet, Lord, your word has the power to, to melt us. So, Lord, help us to see ourselves as we really are. And, Lord, to most importantly, to help us to see you. And Father, this morning, just speak to us, we pray. Father, help us not to be so hard that you can't get through to us. Give us ears to hear. And Father, I pray you give us, through your word, a love for Jesus and a love for each other. Lord, just speak to us now, I pray. I pray we be edified through this time of study and that Jesus be exalted, we ask in his name. Amen. Okay, we are at the beginning of a new year. I thought rather than um, get straight into a, a study, we'll talk more about where we're going in a moment, but I thought just to be helpful, maybe it's a time of reflection and also a time of maybe looking forward to some of the things that are ahead. We have a, a great verse in Second John, verse 8. Now we're going to be looking at Second John shortly in our Bible studies. But the verse just simply says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. In that verse, we have really a sense of looking back, looking at the things that we have accomplished, looking at we have things we have worked for. And of course, it's through Christ, it's by his grace. But also looking forward to that reward that is yet ahead of us. And it's sometimes very healthy just to take a little look over our shoulder at where we've come from, look at the lessons that we've learned, the things that God has been saying to us. And it's also really important that we keep our eyes on where we're going. Now, ultimately, our eyes need to be on Jesus. We're told he's the author, the finisher of our faith. Without our eyes on him, we become very much like Simon Peter stepping out of the boat. All the time our eyes are on Jesus, we're fine. When we take our eyes off, we start to look at the circumstances and look at the world around us. Well, that's when we start to struggle. You know, and probably through the last year, we can probably think of a number of situations personally where we've had moments like that where... Things have just got almost overwhelming. There's a great uh, quote by Oswald Chambers. He says, you know, if we get out of touch with God, things can become overwhelmingly crushing. I love that. It's so simple, but it's so true that actually when we take our eyes off Jesus, the weight, the responsibility sometimes, even of our ministry, of the things we do in service to God, can be just come so much like a burden that we can't carry. But when we cast it all back on him. It just becomes easy. It becomes a delight, a joy to serve. And of course, this is what Jesus said himself of our service to him, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And so often as we live our Christian lives, we find ourselves not in that place. And it's because we're not looking at Jesus. We are in that kind of Mary Martha situation and we become cumbered with a great load of care. We start thinking about all the things we need to do and the responsibility and so on. And you know, we need to be doing that good part, just to sit at Jesus' feet, learning to worship him. And as we worship him, out of that comes the work. Out of that comes the things that we do. Not as a, a chore, not as something we feel we ought to do, but just something we want to do because of that love relationship. Well, what lessons did we learn last year? Well, we started back in 2015, the beginning of the year, speaking about the promises of God, if you remember. And I think one of the lessons that came from that for all of us and as a fellowship is we've got to hold on to God's promises. 
Yet more today than ever. You know, in the world that we live, looking at the, the climate around us, I'm not talking about the temperature, I'm talking about the, the political climate, the economic climate, the whole situation on the religious scene around the world, all the things that are going on, all the unrest. We need more than ever as individuals and as a fellowship to be holding on to the promises of God. So, you know, for yourself, for your family and for this fellowship, that's in a sense of bedrock. God has given us those promises so that we might have hope. And of course, when God gives us a promise, it's not like a, I hope it might be, it could be, it would like to be. These are rock solid things. These are because God knows the end from the beginning and when God gives a promise, there's a certainty. The other thing we looked at at the start of 2015 was love. And I think it's interesting because we spent a whole year and we kind of came back to that same point. Not through my design or through uh, any particular plan uh, that we had as a fellowship, but just God's leading. I felt the Lord was leading us to do those studies as we did on love, looking at God's love for us, our love for God, and then our love for each other. And really we spent all the, the year going through, and we'll talk a little bit about some of those things in a moment, but we came back to that same place. Very much through the Bible study and some of the things that came out going through in First John. But looking at love, looking at how love is the foundation of everything. You know, and of course when we were in Galatians, we saw there about the, the liberty that we have. And yet the reason we don't just go out and do whatever we want to do and live how we want to live is because of that love. So we kind of, in the end, we kind of came full circle. Now, we did our journey through Kings, and I think that, as much as anything, highlights the weakness of the flesh. You know, we see king after king after king, and really the the account of Kings is very much the account of the northern kingdom, as opposed to Chronicles, which gives us the account of the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, we just see this repeated failure on behalf of these kings who are given such a great opportunity and yet then go about it in the flesh. Jeroboam, the first king of the divided kingdom of the north of Israel, is given this promise of God that God would bless him and God would give him this kingdom that he would have ten tribes. And yet the fear of man brings a snare and he's worried about people traveling down south to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the festivals. And he thinks, well, if they go there... Well, they might not want to come back to me. They may decide that it's better just to have one king. And you see, what he did straight away was forget the promises of God. So it's really, again, going back to that foundation of the promises of God. We must hold on to. We must remember that God's promises, even though circumstances may suggest otherwise, God's promises are always secure and true. And again, we see those good intentions of these kings. Time and time again, they they stumble, they fall, all because they try to do things in their own strength. And God, by his grace, restores them, and once again, they go off. You see, what it just shows us is the, the depth of our human nature, how far we can move away apart from the grace of God. And then, again, what a wonderful lesson we learned through last year of God's grace. You know, through Galatians, we just see this gift of grace this this work that that god has done you know, no longer are we bound by a law or a rule or you know the jews were bound by the law and they couldn't keep the law and it brought them into bondage and you know the incredible thing is so many churches today put themselves in bondage under certain things be it the the clothing or head coverings or whatever else they bring in immediately they bring them back under law 
And of course, the whole point of Galatians is there that, that, that we have this liberty. Christ has done it all. Christ has paid for our sin. Christ has fulfilled the law for us. And so, as we saw in Galatians, we have this liberty. And again, Paul says, don't let this liberty become a license for the flesh. And we ask the question, so how, how do we manage that? If we're now given this freedom, if you can go out and live however you want, and you're still given this guarantee of eternal life, because it's not based upon your works, why is it that we would then want to live the right way, want to live the way that God would have us? And the answer is simply love. It's because God loves us, and when we realize the love he has for us, it should be reciprocal. We should want to love God the same way. But more than just that, God has given us each other. You see, that love for God is maintained through fellowship with each other. And God has given us each other that we may love each other. And the more we love each other, the more we love God. The more we love God, the more we love each other. And he just carries on. And that becomes then the reason that we don't want to get into the things of the world. Because we were aware then that those things of the world would harm the body, harm each other. You know, for those of you with children, you would never want to do anything that would harm your children. And as a fellowship, we should be in a place that we should never want to do anything that would harm each other. And we realize even the the thoughts and the intents of the heart can pull us away from God. And you know what it's like, that when you are walking closely with God, you want to fellowship with believers. There are times, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I hope you've experienced it, where you just are so overflowing with that love for God that you just want to pick up the phone and ring somebody. And just just talk about God and how wonderful he is. But there are other times when the flesh seems to surface and and you don't want to be around anybody. You particularly don't want to be around bubbly Christians. But that's why we need fellowship. That's why we need to continually be there encouraging each other, reminding each other. So going forward, we need to jealously guard our relationships with each other. You know, we mustn't let anything come between us. You see, this verse again in in 2 John verse 8, it says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. This is a a team effort. This is a a joint enterprise for us. He says, it's not just about making ourselves sure in terms of our own standing with God and our own rewards and so on that we're looking forward to in heaven, but it's about, about making sure that when we enter through the, the gates of splendor, so to speak, that we do so hand in hand. You know, Paul speaks about the crown of rejoicing. And he speaks about the crown of rejoicing being that which is when we look around and see others in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. You know, one of the joys for us will be on that day when the Lord calls, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, and we go to see Jesus looking around and seeing each other, knowing that we are the ones that God has allowed us to grow with and learn together with. And what joy there'll be as we smile in each other's faces and thinking, you know, we went through this journey together and then we're there in the presence of the Lord. There's two passages I want to look at this morning with a view to looking back and then with a view to looking forward. The the first of those passages is in 1 Corinthians 10, if you want to turn there. There's lots of lessons that we can learn from this portion. First Corinthians 10, verse 1, it just says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. It's amazing how often Paul uses these kind of phrases 
Is this how that our fathers, and he's speaking of the, the Jewish nation, the, the history of the Jews in that sense. He says we're under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It talks about the exodus from Egypt. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat the same spiritual meats. And all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. We sang this morning about God, our rock. It's interesting how many times through the Old Testament this theme reoccurs of the rock all the way through. But then this passage carries on. You see, we have this incredible beginning. This amazing deliverance from bondage. They pass through water to new life effectively. They've been sustained by the bread of life. They've been watered by the water of life, which we find is Christ. How could anything possibly go wrong? But then we read, verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, this is looking at them. And it says, verse 6, Now these things were our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So, Paul is saying, look, we can draw some real valuable lessons for our walk by looking back. Looking at where they were. Learning from their mistakes. You notice it was many of them were caught up in this. And this is to be our example that we don't make the same mistakes. But a simple question, what was it that they lusted after? Well, ultimately it was that which was acceptable to the human palate. That was really what they wanted. And it's interesting that many churches today have abandoned the bread of God, the bread that God has provided, God's word, in favor of that which is acceptable to the multitude and politically correct. It's so sad that many churches are moving away. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But we read in verse 7, Neither be you idolaters, as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now the question here, what is idolatry? Well, the answer is quite simply, it's friendship with the world. We're told in the book of James, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. You see, we can't be a friend of the world. And we, we learn from this example of the children of Israel. They wanted to live and enjoy the, the pleasures of the flesh and so on. The second commandment actually also speaks of this whole issue of idolatry. I mean, really, it's an issue of misrepresentation. God is jealous of his name, of his character, of his attributes. Anything that touches those is idolatry. See, idolatry is really making a God in your own image, from your own imagination to suit your own desires. Even if you call that God Lord, which is exactly what the children of Israel did in Exodus 33, when this golden calf comes out of the fire. They still call it the Lord. This is the Lord that led us and so on. And this is exactly where the world is and sadly where so much of the church now has come to. You see, we now have a a God that won't send anyone to hell. That's proclaimed and told and written about. We're told that we can worship God in whichever way we choose. We've got a lot of God that loves and accepts homosexuality. Such a a contentious issue these days, isn't it? So much written about this in the papers and the news and so on. and So much written that anybody that says anything against homosexuality is, well, almost ostracized. And yet, for so much of human history, I mean, this is, homosexuality isn't something new in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, this has been around for generations. It's right the way back through the history of the world. And look, if you want to if the world wants to accept it, 
Well, the world can accept. The world is free to make their choice. But don't tell me that God says it's okay, because the Bible very clearly says it's not. Now, you can disregard the Bible. Okay. But don't tell me that the Bible doesn't say what it says. We've got a kind of a gospel being preached today as well that says God would never punish his son. And prominent evangelical leaders are saying those things. We've got people saying that God will choose to reveal himself through fresh revelations. And experience is now the key. So much of the emerging church and all these other ideas that come through, drawing Christianity dangerously close to new age ideas and thinking and teachings and so on. (laughs) We've got the idea that God says that she doesn't want us to become gender exclusive. Of course, it's nonsense, isn't it? But you know, people are now saying that we shouldn't call God Father. And there's even gender-friendly versions of the Bible that people are producing. And of course, many would just tell us now that God's written word is not the be-all and end-all. You know, all of these things come under idolatry because it's making a God to suit themselves. And the mistake the Israelites made was, again, making a God that was acceptable with the things they wanted. It's idolatry. But also told, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. I mean, fornication is an interesting topic in scripture. It comes up time and time again. What is it? Well, it's an intimate relationship with someone other than the one you are espoused to or married to. I mean, typically fornication is seen as being something that's before or outside of marriage, adultery, particularly within marriage and so on. Throughout Israel's history, they committed spiritual fornication by going after and embracing false gods. Now, you may have heard recently that the Pope has declared that Christians and Muslims are brothers and that we do worship the same God. Interestingly, a Wheaton College professor made this following comment. Wheaton College being a Christian Bible college in the States. This is Meanwhile, Wheaton College professor... Larry Sierra Hawkins announced on a Facebook page on December the 11th that she'd be wearing a hijab, that's the, the head covering, during Advent to show religious solidarity with Muslims. Wheaton is a private evangelical Christian college in Wheaton, Illinois. I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God, Hawkins said. Uh, this is coming out from evangelical Christian colleges today. These are the things that are going on around us. It's interesting that the things that Paul warns about, that we don't make those mistakes, are going on all around. And we need to be so careful that we don't get sucked in. Because as neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. You know, this is one of the biggest problems churches have. Murmuring. Murmuring is not love. Murmuring is not a work of God. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift of the Spirit. Murmuring is something that is a work of the flesh. And it's when we express displeasure about something or other or someone rather than talking openly. Anything that's done, in a sense, behind closed doors that we don't talk openly about will lead to problems. And, you know, love doesn't tolerate those things. We're told in Scripture that the light makes manifest. You know, we should be able to bring out everything in the open. If we have an issue, where we've got presence in Scripture as to how we deal with that, we speak to each other. It's really simple. We talk. 
And that way we maintain a unity of the Spirit. We don't murmur, we don't go one-to-one-to-one-to-one to one to one to one talking. And Even if we put it under the guise of prayer, or just pray about this, this, you know. It's incredible how many churches are destroyed through murmuring. Just as we have this example here, that the Israelites were also. Now all these things happen unto them, again we're told for examples, and they are written for our admonition, and this is why this is so important for us this morning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. If Paul wrote that some 1900 years ago, how much more important is that right now? Because if Paul is saying that he was part of a generation upon whom the ends of the world are come, and we sit here today looking at the world around us, this is more true now than when Paul wrote it, that the ends of the world really are come upon us. If these are lessons that Paul is saying are for those upon whom the ends of the world are come, these are things we really need to understand and be looking and be aware of. And we're also told, wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, this is really important because Paul is saying, don't think these things can't overtake you. Don't think they can't overtake us. We need to be so careful. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to stay true to his word. We're also told there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And it just concludes, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, Paul speaking so tenderly to these believers, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. That's the first scripture I wanted to share with us. That's kind of looking back. There's lots of lessons we can draw from those mistakes that were made. Sadly, so many people are falling to those things and making the same mistakes. But we need to be looking ahead also. And I wanted to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to pick up at verse 15. Because this is something that, again, is so important for us to be aware of, be mindful of. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, and bear in mind, he was only with them for three weeks. And in that three weeks, he taught them a bunch of things. But most importantly, he told them about the fire escapes. You know, when I train bringing new recruits, before I start teaching about products and services and so on, before I taught them them about sales techniques, the first thing I do is do the health and safety things. And the first thing on that list is fire safety. If there's a fire, how do you get out? And in a sense, that's what Paul does to the Thessalonians. Because we don't know when that fire is coming. We'll talk about it in a moment. But we need to know our escape route. Verse 15 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Okay, so this isn't just Paul's opinion. This isn't Paul just making something up. He's saying God has said this. By the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. Speaking of those that have died. Those that have died before us in the faith. Verse 16 tells us, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. We have a wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that speaks about this moment when corruption will put on incorruption. When our bodies will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The dead suddenly, those who are dead in Christ, those who are believers and put their faith and trust in Jesus, will suddenly rise again. And then we're told, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul tells us, 
This is something we should really be able to comfort one another with. Yeah, when we look around the world, all the problems, this is a great comfort to us. This word caught up is the word in the Latin, Vulgate, that's translated rapturus. It's where we get the word rapture from. This is the rapture. It's a, a doctrine that back in the 60s, 70s and 80s started to gain prominence within evangelical Christian circles. And over the last 10, 15 years, certainly since the turn of the millennium, it seems to have gone very quiet. People don't talk about it much. There's a lot of fervor about the millennium and whether that was going to bring some sort of cataclysmic change to the world or whether that was going to mark the beginning of the tribulation or the rapture. All these ideas were banded around. I'm sure you heard them all. And it's kind of all gone very quiet talking about the rapture. And even many churches that once talk, talked about this seem not to do so now. But Paul says this is something we should comfort each other with. You know, when we've got a world out there that is so confused as they're looking at all the problems that are surrounding them, you know, we've got the, the refugee situation, which may not be quite so apparent to us in this country. I was speaking to Yana briefly before, and in Europe, Eastern Europe particularly, this is a reality. I was reading the, the blog of uh, Pastor Phil, who pastors the church in Hungary, a Calvary chapel out there, and he was speaking about how they've opened up the, the church to refugees that are coming in. They're just going to reach out with the gospel. It's a big issue. And of course, the, the whole situation with Syria, the situation with ISIL, ISIS, whatever name we give to them, all these things that are going on around the world, a lot of economic problems that we keep hearing about and so on, and, and the climate things, I mean, the, the floods that we're having, and even in America, the tornadoes and so many things going on. And uh, There's an element that we say these have always been the, the case, but you know, for us right now, it does seem to be different, doesn't it? So we need something that should bring comfort. And Paul says there's something that we can really comfort ourselves with. And that is that there is a time coming when the Lord will come. Those that are dead in Christ are going to rise. We who are alive will be caught up and together we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet Jesus face to face. And then we're given that wonderful promise and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I mean, some people are arguing that question whether the rapture is scriptural or not. Of course it's scriptural. It's here. This is scripture. And, you know, the whole concept itself, Enoch was raptured. Elijah was raptured. Jesus himself was raptured. You may not like the word, put another word in if you prefer, whatever. But they were caught up bodily, alive into heaven. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 11, we read of two witnesses who also will be caught up alive. And this is just simply the same thing, but this is speaking of the body of Christ, being caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Again, what a great comfort. We'll carry on into chapter 5, and he says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they, speaking of the world, shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Speaking of the world, speaking of this comfort the world has, you know, with all the turmoil at the moment, wouldn't it be great if there was just some individual that could just step to the fore and solve these problems? Well, there's going to be. And he's going to seem to be a wonderful individual because he's going to bring peace, he's going to solve many of these issues that we see going on, and people will put their trust in this individual. But before that comes, we know that we have this calling out of this world. 
Paul says, you brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Let us not sleep. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. Okay, that's a call to us as we go into this new year. We shouldn't be sleeping or slumbering. We shouldn't be ignorant of these things. We should be watching and we should be sober. We should be a sound mind. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. See, once again, love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of the rapture? Well, there's a number of reasons this is going to occur. One is for us to receive resurrection bodies fit for eternity. Some of you younger folk may not have noticed, but for some of us older folk here, the body starts to creak a bit as you get older. It's not as easy getting up and getting down. You know, you tie, you get down to tie your shoelace and you think what else you can do while you're down there. Cause, so we need new bodies. And plus the fact, as we see so many times in scripture, John is a great example on Patmos. He sees the Lord and he falls down as if dead. I mean, our bodies just are overwhelmed by the presence of God. And so we're going to get new bodies that won't decay. They'll be incorruptible. Like Jesus' resurrection body. That's one of the, the purposes of the rapture, and that's what we're told in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. But it's also to fulfill the promise that Jesus made in John 14, because Jesus said there, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, the disciples, after the resurrection, were very concerned. And Jesus, prior to that, in the night that he was going out to Gethsemane, tells them these things. So that after the events of Calvary, they think back to this and remember that Jesus has said he's going to prepare a place for us. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. No question that Jesus returned to the Father. That's where he's gone. And just as a Jewish groom would return to the father's house to build an annex onto the house to make a place for him and his bride, so Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. And just as a Jewish groom would return at a time unannounced and there'd be the blowing of the chauffeur, the ram's horn, so there'll be the blowing of that trumpet and Christ's bride will be joined to him and will be taken to this place that he's been preparing for us. So there's another purpose of the rapture, to fulfill that promise. Remember we speak about the promises of God being secure and sure. We read in Philippians also, three, Philippians 3 verse 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven. You know, you may have a, a passport for the UK, but really our citizenship is in heaven. For which we also, look at this, eagerly wait. I mean, as we go into this year, are we eagerly waiting? That's how we should be, eagerly waiting for the Savior, for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the rapture could be this year. It really could be this year. Are we ready? Are we looking forward to this? Are we looking forward to going home, being with all those who have gone before us? You're seeing those loved ones who have departed in Christ, who will transform our lowly body. See, here are, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This wonderful promise of that which is to come. Another reason that the rapture has to occur is to deliver us from the wrath to come. 
Well, there's so many scriptures that tell us this. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, we read that we have to be waiting for his Son from heaven. Now, it's not idly waiting, doing nothing. We're to be doing things, in a sense. We're to occupy until he comes, but we're waiting. Years ago, when I used to work for my dad, Simeon, my brother, used to work uh, with us at the time, and very often Simeon would come and pick me up in the morning. And while Sim has changed an awful lot now, back in those days, Sim wasn't always as punctual as he now is. So I'd be waiting on the corner. But I knew he would come. And eventually he did come. You know, that waiting, that expectation, that confident, you know, maybe ten minutes after I was expecting, but he's coming. Well, this is even more sure with Jesus. He's promised that he's coming. And we should be waiting. You know, It's kind of like standing by the front door, getting ready to go. That's how we should be living through this year. So we're to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Notice that word, delivered. Not is it going to deliver. It's already been done. It's been paid for at the cross. So the wrath that is coming, we will not endure because Christ has paid for it already. You see, that wrath that's coming, we'll look in a moment, is God's wrath on an unbelieving world for their sin, for their rebellion. Well, for our sin has already been paid for, so we don't need to be judged again. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 9, we just looked at this a moment ago, but that last verse, verse 9, speaks that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, they're speaking in one sense of the, the wrath of God being poured out upon us, but it's also speaking of this Escape from the judgment that's coming upon this world. And notice that wrath is not persecution. Persecution is something that the church has always endured and still continues to endure. You may have heard recently that Saudi Arabian Grand Mufti issued a fatwa against Christian churches throughout the Arabian Peninsula and elsewhere. And their top cleric has called for the destruction of all churches. And in the Gulf state of Kuwait, so we're familiar with Kuwait, they've passed laws now banning the construction of Christian facilities. Persecution is rife around the world, and more so than it has ever been. And it's becoming more and more so in this country. Those that stand up for the gospel are being persecuted more and more. And we're to expect that. But that's not the wrath that's coming. It's not just going to be more persecution. There will probably be more persecution. But that's not the wrath that the Bible speaks about. The wrath that's coming is what we read about as the day of the Lord. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In Luke 21 verse 36, Jesus said to the disciples, Watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Some people and... Some Christians who don't like to talk about the rapture will say, oh, it's just escapism. Yeah, okay, that will do. Because the Bible says that we should we pray that we're counted worthy to escape. Why would you want to stay and endure God's wrath? Particularly when Christ has already paid. Notice Jesus says to escape all these things. What are these things? Well, Jesus has just been speaking about all nations in distress. I mean, that's pretty much what we've got in the world today, isn't it? As we look around. There are problems everywhere in the world. Either through the climate, through weather, through economic problems, or through war, or through disease. 
there is global turmoil, which is what Jesus was speaking about. Yeah, we are getting so close now to this day of the Lord, this time of tribulation that is one of the most prophesied themes throughout the whole of Scripture. So much of the Old Testament is devoted to this particular issue. Just a couple of scriptures in Isaiah chapter 13. It says, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And notice the source. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. This is God bringing destruction. Therefore shall all hands be faint and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. Notice that expression here. These pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. There's a continual theme that goes through in Scripture. This idea of a, a woman in travail. A woman that's about to give birth of the pain that she goes through. As that building towards this time of tribulation. We're told, behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy, and here we're given the key, the sinners thereof out of it. That's the purpose of this wrath that God will bring on the world. You know, so many people, why does God allow X, fill in the blank? Well, because God has allowed us to take control of this world for now. But God has said very clearly, there is a time coming where enough is enough. And God will put an end to all the sin, all the iniquity, all the wickedness that we see going on around us. And we read again, of course, of the stars in heaven, these that Jesus quoted these scriptures. And verse 11 of Isaiah 13 says, And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. You know, those that stand up and blaspheme and say proud things against God. I, over the, the Christmas break, I went to see Star Wars. And uh, I don't know what you think of Star Wars, but I'm not going to tell you the plot in case you want to go and see it if you've not already seen it. But what was interesting was in the build-up to the film, the trailers were running. And I was just stunned. I haven't been to the cinema for an awful long time. I can't remember the last time Joy and I went to the cinema. But I was really surprised because all of the trailers were blasphemous. And they were all, I believe part of the devil's plan to prepare people for the tribulation. You see, even even Star Wars and these kind of films, but, you know, I've said this before, but you think back over the last 30 years or so, 30, 40 years of films, we have had so many films that are produced that are all about disasters that we come through. Most of them have been climatic type disasters. You know, there's the day after tomorrow and there's... Uh, so many other ones. What was the... Uh, oh, there's so many. I'm sure you know many of them. Oh, 2012, wasn't it? was another one where... The, yeah. You know, all these kind of things where there's big climatic changes in the world. It's interesting because the Bible speaks so much about those things. But the world's conclusion is, but we'll come through it, okay? And the others speak about strange beings, Aliens from other planets coming and invading us. And once again, we'll overcome. We'll defeat them. It's always the President of the United States, of course, that is the, the hero, isn't he? But I believe that's all part of a satanic plan. I'm not saying necessarily those films in and of themselves are satanic, but I believe the overall is. The Satan is preparing people for the time of tribulation. Because when you look in Revelation 6, you will find that people realize that the wrath and the things that are coming upon the world are of God. They recognize that it's God that's doing it, and they will not repent. 
this word, this verse here speaks of the arrogancy of the proud. God is going to cause that to cease because there are so many that laugh at God, that mock God, that make God to be just one of many. Like even one of these films, I don't even remember the name of the film. But in the trailer it was just talking about that throughout the history of the world there have been many of these kind of uh, so-called God-type characters and it listed various names. And amongst this list of many, it had Yahweh. <laughs> God is not one of these many. God is the creator of all things. So this is why this judgment and this punishment is going to come upon the world. And we're reading the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. These things are coming. So that the day of the Lord is a time of God's wrath. It's God's judgment on a wicked, unbelieving and Christ-rejecting world. The final reason for the rapture to occur is to take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We celebrated that this morning because we celebrated communion together. Because we'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day that we drink with him in his Father's kingdom. That's an allusion to the marriage supper when we will be there the bride of Christ sitting at the top table. I can't even begin to imagine how wonderful that will be. So, as we get ready for this year, we need to be looking back at those lessons we can learn, being aware that those things are going on around us. Because sadly, many fall prey to those deceptions. But also looking forward to that which is coming and getting excited. We should be living like heaven is a real place. In a sense, again, standing at the door and waiting. Our response should be this, I believe. Titus 2, 11 to 13 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But, if I may assert there, but looking for that blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So we're to carry on our lives. We're not to just bury our head in the sand and wait for the rapture. We're to live our lives. We're to get up tomorrow morning, go to work, or do whatever we do in our, our daily routine. And go to school, go to college. We do those things. But we do it looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. And once again, we're doing it with that knowledge that we are linked as a fellowship arming arm. We're going together. We're all going to be standing there or hovering, however it's going to occur, at the time of the rapture, looking around, smiling at one another, being so glad that God has given us each other to learn with and to grow with, to knock off some of those rough edges. Peter says that we are living stones. I remember hearing a minister speak once, and he says, sometimes as God is building this house with these living stones, you might not necessarily be placed next to the stone of your choosing. Sometimes there may be some rubbing there, but eventually we learn to love each other, to appreciate each other, to pray for each other. And once again this year, we need to be praying for each other through the week, each week. Lifting each other before the throne, encouraging each other. And then finally, Philippians three thirteen and 14, it says, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize 
of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Some verses translate as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? It's the rapture of the church. That's what we're pressing towards. That's our hope. That's what we're comforting each other with. It could be any moment. It could well be this year. So let's keep encouraging each other. Let's keep praying for each other. Let's keep loving each other. Let's not let any of us fall behind. You know, it's almost like we've been in this race together and not one of us are going to cross the finish line without each other. God has given us to each other. And you know, it may be that God will add to our number this year. But that's up to him because the word says that the Lord adds to the church such as should be saved. We don't give up witnessing. We don't give up evangelizing and speaking to others. But what we do is be faithful with that which we have been given. You know, and if God has chosen for us here as a fellowship of believers just to be a body of believers that love each other and make sure we all get over that line. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just talking about entering into joy, into the presence of the Lord, not losing those things that we've worked for. We don't know all the things that God has waiting for us, but let's not make sure we lose anything and press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these wonderful promises. We thank you for that command that we are to love each other as you have loved us. And that command isn't just given as a an exercise for us to try. But Lord, by loving each other, we love you more. And by loving you more, we learn to love each other more. Father, we thank you for each other here this morning. Lord, bless our journey, our walk together. Keep teaching us, we pray. Every step, as we keep waiting, as we keep looking for that upward call, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.